Monsters is a podcast about the worst human beings on the planet. Listener discretion is advised. Stephen Platel was reconnected with the daughter he gave up for adoption 18 years earlier and then began having a sexual relationship with her. When authorities got involved and the relationship was put in jeopardy, Platel decided to end it for everyone. This is Monsters. Incest is a pretty sensitive subject in our society. Family members having a sexual relationship generally elicits a feeling of disgust in most people, but it's legal in a surprising amount of countries. We're not talking about third world countries either. Incest is legal in Spain, Russia, South Korea, Japan, and France. It's legal in Ireland only for same-sex couples, which I guess makes sense since they can't create offspring together. Some countries have restrictions on age, making it legal as long as both parties are over 18 or 21 years old. It does seem to be illegal in more countries than it's legal, with penalties ranging from a few years in prison up to the death penalty in countries like Saudi Arabia and Somalia. The United States is complicated because every state has a different law with different sentencing guidelines and the prohibited acts all vary by state. In Connecticut, marriage or sexual intercourse will get you one to five years in prison and a fine of $5,000. In Massachusetts, though, marriage, sexual intercourse, sexual activities, including but not limited to oral or anal intercourse, fellatio, cunnilingus, or other penetration of a part of a person's body, or insertion of an object into the genital or anal opening of another person's body, or the manual manipulation of the genitalia of another person's body will get you up to 20 years in prison. In Rhode Island, you aren't allowed to marry a direct relative, but incest is not illegal as long as both parties are over the age of 16. Most of the laws in the United States are based on what is referred to as the degree of relationship. Identical twins would have a zero in the degree of relationship, since they share 100% of their DNA, though they wouldn't be able to produce offspring since they'd have to be the same gender in order to be identical twins. A parent and one of their children, or full siblings, would be a one on the degree of relationship as they share 50% of their DNA. Half-siblings would be a two on the scale because they share 25% of their DNA. Most laws in the U.S. are set at a two on the degree of relationship level or sharing 25% or more of their DNA. In most states, it used to be illegal for first cousins to marry or have a sexual relationship, but now 24 states allow marriage between first cousins as it was deemed safe for people to have children when sharing less than 25% of their DNA. First cousins only share 12.5% of their DNA, making it a 3 on the degree of relationship scale. When Stephen Platel was 20 years old, he met a 15-year-old girl named Alyssa Garcia on the internet. It was 1995, and Platel was living in New York State while Alyssa was living in San Antonio, Texas. After spending time communicating online, Platel traveled to Texas and started a relationship with the underaged girl. Alyssa said that even though her parents disapproved of the relationship, she became pregnant when she was only 16 years old. I'm sorry, but if I had a 15-year-old daughter and a 20-year-old dude traveled across the country to be with her, he would not set his hands on her. Having a mild disapproval with a, meh, what are we going to do, attitude, isn't going to cut it. 
the minute I found out that he was in town, the police would be notified about the situation. An order of no contact would be filed, and if he broke it, the police would be called. If he physically touched my daughter, the police would be called. If that didn't work, I'd physically drag his ass to the airport and put him on a plane back home. He can keep trying, but I'll sure as hell do my best to make my daughter not worth his time. I know that it's hard to tell a teenager that they aren't allowed to date someone and they'll sneak out and do whatever they can to make it happen, but be proactive, people. An adult that your teen met on the internet traveled to Texas from New York to have a sexual relationship with her. Grow a spine. While researching this case, I also noticed that Alyssa had said in an interview that she had never witnessed her ex-husband make sexual advances toward young girls. Uh, yeah, he did. You. In 1998, Alyssa gave birth to a baby girl who they named Denise. They initially kept the baby, but Alyssa said that she needed to find some way to get Denise away from Stephen. She said he abused her by pinching her body until he left black and blue marks. He would also stuff her into a cooler in order to quiet her crying, only letting her out when she was on the verge of suffocation. Alyssa decided that the only way to protect her daughter was to give her up for adoption. She was only eight months old and was quickly adopted by Anthony and Kelly Fusco, who changed the girl's name to Katie Fusco. Stephen and Alyssa stayed together, eventually getting married and having two more children together, despite Stephen's inability to keep a job and his temper. Alyssa said in an interview, quote, Stephen had a bad temper. He would destroy things in the home when he was upset, punching holes in the walls, end quote. She said that he would threaten to commit suicide if she ever left him. He claimed that he would shoot himself in the head, film it, and find some way to get the video to her. Their two other daughters weren't born until 2007 and 2012. Alyssa said that they were more mature and ready to take care of children by then. Well, at least she was. Anthony Fusco spent most of his life in the Dover, New York area. He married Kelly in 1983, and they had one biological daughter together. Anthony joined the United States Coast Guard right out of high school and worked his way up to chief petty officer over his 30-year career. He then spent another 20 years as a correctional officer at the Federal Corrections Center Danbury. After retiring from the Coast Guard, the Fuscos decided to add another member to their family in the form of an adopted child. Katie Fusco was taken to her new home in Dover, New York, where she lived what many people called a normal life. They nicknamed Katie Pac-Man because she was always eating, though her diet was strictly vegetarian due to her love of animals. Katie was a talented artist who became known at her high school for drawing comic strips. She once wrote in a blog post, quote, A pen and something to draw on became a safe place for me. Ink became my weapon against rules and regulations. To be short, for me, a life without art is no life at all, end quote. She was also an outspoken person. She had recently completed an art portfolio depicting the struggles of women throughout American history. She led a group of female students who petitioned the Dover Board of Education to make changes to what they deemed sexist dress code. Unfortunately, none of her artwork has been made public. When she graduated from Dover High School in 2016, she had plans to enroll at Dutchess County Community College before transferring to the State University of New York at Purchase, where she planned to study digital advertising. Like many adopted children do when they turn 18, Katie became curious about her biological parents, so she used social media to track them down. 
the Platels were more than happy to meet their firstborn, and after a short time sending messages online, Katie canceled her college plans and moved to Henrico County, Virginia to live with Stephen, Alyssa, and her two biological sisters. By the time Katie reconnected with her biological parents, Stephen and Alyssa had been sleeping in separate rooms for months. Alyssa described how Stephen hadn't worked a steady job in eight years, and she spent most of her time walking on eggshells around him in an effort to not set off his explosive temper. He had an obsession with guns and had recently purchased a lightweight AR-15-style low-recoil rifle, a weapon that he purchased legally in the state of Virginia, which doesn't have any bans on assault weapons. Alyssa described how her husband's behavior changed after meeting Katie. He began wearing skinny jeans and form-fitting shirts. He shaved his beard and was more mindful of his appearance, growing his hair long to fit in with a younger crowd. After a month of his biological daughter living with them, Stephen began sleeping on the floor in Katie's room at night. Alyssa confronted him about it, but he just claimed that it was none of her business. Alyssa said she also warned Katie about the abuse she suffered from her father as an infant. She told her that it was the main reason for her being put up for adoption, but Katie didn't seem to care. Two months after Katie began living with the Platels, Alyssa moved out of the house and filed for divorce. They came to an agreement to share custody of the two younger children, an arrangement that would ultimately lead to the discovery of a much more disturbing relationship between the father and daughter than Alyssa would want to imagine. Near the beginning of 2017, Stephen asked his two younger daughters to refer to Katie as their stepmom instead of their sister. After the girls returned from a trip to stay with Stephen and Katie, Alyssa read her 11-year-old daughter's journal and realized just how far the incestuous relationship had gone. The journal read, I also love how she was kinda skinny in areas and had smaller breasts. But how is she pregnant and gained weight and my dad calls her baby, also his baby? Did he make her pregnant? My dad even says she's my stepmom, WTF. He doesn't even want me to say or call her sister anymore. Katie is my sister. She's probably his wife now, but in nature, she's only my sister. Does she see me as a daughter or a sister? I can't help but think that this is incredibly deep for an 11-year-old to write. She has this crisis of conscience about whether or not her sister is in fact her mother and whether Katie thinks of her as a daughter or a sister, something no tween should ever have placed in front of them for contemplation. She also drew pictures of her father as Satan and wrote on one page, quote, Wait one second. If he's Satan and Katie is human, then the baby will be half-demon, end quote. Imagine Alyssa's surprise when she reads her daughter's journal and learns that her ex-husband has now gotten his own daughter pregnant. She thought that Stephen was just manipulating Katie to destroy any relationship the mother and daughter could have. But to learn that they were having a sexual relationship and that he had gotten her pregnant? She became hysterical and called Stephen to confront him. But his response was, quote, I thought you knew. We're in love. End quote. She yelled and screamed at him, but it was no use. She had no other option but to report the relationship to the police. The police interviewed Stephen, Katie, and the two younger Platel daughters and opened an investigation, though no arrests were made. Alyssa also got a protective order for her younger daughters. After that, Stephen and Katie moved to Nightdale, North Carolina, and began living with Stephen's mother. 
On July 20, 2017, the couple traveled to Maryland and were legally married, but only because they failed to disclose that they were biologically related. The worst part about the wedding was the fact that both Stephen's mother and Katie's adoptive parents were in attendance. The Fuscos claimed that they believed that since they couldn't stop Katie from marrying Stephen, that their only other option was to support her. Stephen seemed to have great luck finding parents who held a, we don't like it, but what are you going to do, attitude. They couldn't stop them. Did they inform the state of Maryland that they were related so they couldn't get a marriage license? Did they call the police? They were literally standing next to their adopted daughter, who they raised since she was eight months old, who is pregnant with her biological father's baby, who she's married, and they have smiles on their faces. How is that possible? His mother also clearly knew what was going on since they lived with her at the time of their marriage. She's also in the picture, smiling as her son is marrying her granddaughter, who is also pregnant with her grandson slash great-grandson. I guess we shouldn't be surprised, though, as this is the same woman who didn't have a problem with her 20-year-old son crossing the country to have sex with a 15-year-old. On September 1st, 2017, Katie gave birth to a boy who they named Bennett. The trio continued living with Stephen's mother until January of 2018, when Stephen and Katie were arrested in North Carolina. They were extradited to Virginia and charged with incest, adultery, and contributing to the delinquency of a minor. They were both released on bond and ordered to have no contact with each other. Katie went back to New York to live with her adopted parents. In one report, I read that Stephen was ordered to not leave Virginia, but he seems to have been living in Nightdale, North Carolina, so either the report was incorrect or he got permission to leave the state. After being separated for a few months, Katie must have accepted that the relationship she had with her father was not healthy. She broke the order to have no contact and called Stephen to let him know that she didn't want to have a relationship with him anymore. The court had granted custody of Bennett to Stephen's mother, Grace. Stephen was given no restriction on contact with his son. The courts would later say that they didn't see the need to restrict Stephen's contact with Bennett. This was a mistake, though, because once Katie ended their relationship, Stephen decided that nobody deserved to live. Stephen went to his mother's home and picked up Bennett. He then called her at some point, telling Grace that he was going to take him up to New York and drop him off with Katie. What he actually did was suffocate Bennett at his home, leave the boy's body in a closet, and then drive to New York. The day after telling his mother that he was taking Bennett to New York, he called his mother again, informing her about his killing spree. Names had already been redacted from this audio before it was released. 911, address of the emergency. Yes, um, uh, my son just called me, and uh, he told me he, oh my God, North Carolina. Uh, he killed his his baby, and he's in the house. Okay, you said that he told you he killed his baby. <laughs> okay, ma'am, listen to me. What's your name? Okay, tell me exactly what happened. Uh, he, he's, I, he's, he's not home. His wife broke up with him over the phone yesterday. She means his daughter. And he told me, she's in New York, and he told me he was on his way. He called me last night and said he's on his way. He's going to bring the baby to her. 
and then he was coming back. And he just, he just, okay. He said, he, he killed his wife, he killed her father, and he, I can't even believe this is happening. Okay. And did this happen in Nightdale? Uh, no, the, 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 his wife and father are in New York. Okay, and, so the incident but, but actually. He left, he left the baby dead when he left. She will only refer to Katie as his wife. She doesn't explain that they were currently out on bond due to incest charges. She doesn't explain that he's not supposed to have any contact with his quote-unquote wife. Even under these horrible circumstances, she just continues to live this lie that her son had a legitimate relationship with a woman who was not his biological daughter. When did uh, this happen? He said, he left last night, he called me, I forget, maybe about seven last night and said he was on his way to New York, he was going to bring to his wife and give it to her and then he'd be back. And and he called me this morning. I, I just got off the phone just a couple of minutes ago. And he told and I oh god, he told me to call the police that I shouldn't go over there. Okay, so the son is uh, so your son is not there. No, though the house is empty. The, oh, he said he put a key under the front mat to take a key to get into the house under the front mat. Did he say how oh, he did it or what? No, he did? and I. I didn't ask him. I didn't ask him. I didn't want to know. Oh my God! He's such a wonderful little. Okay, hold, hold hold on just a second, okay? Oh yeah, quick little afterthought. He said he left a key under the mat so people could get in and find the dead baby. Stephen's mother lived in a town called Cary, so this 911 operator transferred Grace to the 911 service in Nightdale so they could send police to his house to do a welfare check. Police found Bennett's body in the closet of an upstairs bedroom. Once in New York, Stephen waited in a parking lot across the street from the Fusco's house. Stephen knew that Katie visited her adoptive grandmother, who lives just over the border in New Milford, Connecticut, every Tuesday and Thursday, so he laid in waiting in order to catch them on the road in an ambush. After Katie and Anthony left their house, Stephen followed them down Route 55 until he reached a stop sign at the intersection of Route 55 and Highway 7. He pulled his minivan up next to their car and opened fire into the vehicle with his AR-15-style assault rifle. The roads were not clear, and passing motorists saw the whole thing. 911, what's the location oh. of your emergency? Hello, this is uh, Connecticut. It's on Route 7 and Route 55. Someone just went by and shot this guy in a truck. Shot somebody just went, shot somebody outside. in a truck on, on, on Route 55, sir? Yes, right, we're getting Route 55 and Route 7. It just happened. I'm a fireman out of New York. The car pulled up, went around him, shot him. Whole clip full into his head. Okay, sorry. Is, is you still with him? We're here at the road. Where, right at the intersection? Yes, sir, right is at he, the intersection. Is, okay, sir. He's deceased, Bob. The he, truck's in the middle of the road. He, he's dead? Yes, sir. Brains are on the road. And he was shot. Did you see the person who shot him? Yeah, we pulled up. There's a whole... Yes. Who? Okay, which way did the vehicle go? Headed toward New Melford, down Route 7. Down Route south. 7? What, can you describe the vehicle to me? It's a blue minivan with, I believe, a South Carolina plate. Blue minivan, South Carolina plate? Yes, sir. A light blue minivan. 
This guy sounds fairly matter-of-fact for someone who just witnessed a murder, but he does mention that he's a New York firefighter, so as a first responder, it makes sense for him to not be rattled by a situation like this. He describes the vehicle and says he saw a South Carolina license plate, but he corrects himself in another part of the call that he thought it was a North Carolina license plate. We're pulling up to the stop sign, he's around two OEG trucks. These two were behind them. As soon as he opened fire and shot these two people, he went up and around them. Are there two OEG people trucks. deceased, sir? Yes, sir. There's two people deceased. Just between the car is off. Two people. Two people who were shot. Yes, sir. I'm going to pull my truck up here and block the view of everything, and then we'll try to keep them going around. Okay? Okay, sir. Sir, are you are you positive that they're deceased? I'd say they're both deceased. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty bad. Your brains are laying here. Were they around. both shot in the head, sir? Sir, I'm looking. Okay. Oh, I mean, don't don't touch anything, sir. I just I'm just just trying to clarify. I know they're both deceased. Yeah, the other one's shot. Okay. Did you see the shooting happen? Yes, sir. Okay, and was it? A, did you see a rifle, a shotgun, or a handgun? Couldn't tell you nothing. You could tell me nothing. Along side of it, and the shots coming out the window, going through the truck. When police arrived, both Anthony and Katie were dead on the scene. The police in New York, Connecticut, and North Carolina all started working together to piece together what had happened. Shortly after their investigation began, a blue minivan with North Carolina license plates was located in Dover, New York. Inside, Stephen Plato was dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. The police chief in New Milford held a press conference to explain the details. Tentatively identified as Anthony Fusco, age 56, of Wingdale, New York. A female passenger, tentatively identified as Katie Plato, age 20, also of Wingdale. They received several rounds of uh, into the uh, passenger compartment that resulted in injury that eventually resulted in their death. Uh, investigative efforts learned the identification of the suspect vehicle and travel direction. An area-wide communication resulted in the location of the vehicle by New York authorities at Dogtail Corners in Dover, New York. At this time, the suspect, tentatively identified as Stephen Plato, age 42, of Knightsdale, North Carolina, was found deceased in the vehicle with believed to be self-inflicted gunshot wounds. As all of the police agencies pieced together the events, the police chief in Nightdale also held a press conference. Obviously, I wish that we were speaking under different circumstances. Uh, we called this briefing this afternoon to update you on the status of the infant death investigation that we have been conducting today on Pearlston Court. I also want to create an opportunity to provide some links between the crime that occurred here in Nightdale and also the crimes that you no doubt have been uh, hearing about uh, in Connecticut and New York today as well. By now, you should have received a copy of the press release. I'm not going to read that verbatim, but I will tell you that earlier today, around 9 o'clock, our officers received a welfare check request at the address of 106 Earlston Court here in Nightdale. Our officers responded to that location, made entry into the residence, and there they discovered uh, the body of a seven-month-old uh, male infant. Uh, the infant's name is Bennett Plato. It's also important for you to know that there is a connection between the events here in Nightdale today and the crimes that are being investigated by the New Milford, Connecticut Police Department 
and the New York State Police Department. Uh, those authorities have already issued press releases or are in the process of conducting press briefings themselves to make the folks in those jurisdictions aware of the connection uh, to the events here in Nightdale. Uh, the New Milford, Connecticut Police Department is investigating a double homicide while the New York State Police Department is investigating uh, what is an apparent suicide in their jurisdiction. He gives the details of the death of Bennett Platel. In this area, the locals are more aware of Stephen and Katie Platel due to the incest arrest which happened in Nightdale. This press conference is a little more personal due to that, as well as the fact that Bennett's body was found there. One of the things that I do want to confirm, there's been some speculation about this, but I will confirm that today's events do involve Stephen Platel, 45-year-old male, and Katie Platel, a 20-year-old female. You may recall that those individuals were the subject of an arrest here at Nightdale back in January 2018 uh, for some warrants that were issued by the Enrico County Sheriff's Office out of Virginia. Once those warrants were issued uh, and served by our agency, the extradition process began. Uh, it went back to Virginia uh, for uh, their court jurisdiction. It is our understanding that the case was awaiting a trial there. During that period of time, the child, uh, Bennett Plato, uh, was in the custody of Stephen's mother. It is Stephen's mother who called us this morning uh, to make the request for the welfare check at that location. Again, as our officers uh, arrived on scene, we found the infant inside the home. There was no one else inside the residence when our officers made entry. Over the course of the day, we began receiving uh, contact information for the authorities in Connecticut and New York. Our detectives and investigators began working collectively with the authorities in those jurisdictions to kind of piece together how these events were connected. There was a lot of cooperation, a lot of sharing of information, and I think we have a pretty good handle on exactly how things transpired, not only here in Nightdale, but also in those uh, municipalities as well. There's a theory called genetic sexual attraction, that there is a strong sexual attraction between close blood relatives who meet as adults. The term was coined by Barbara Gagno in the late 80s after she developed a sexual attraction to the son she put up for adoption after reconnecting with him as an adult. Fortunately, her biological son had no interest in pursuing the relationship, but that wasn't the case for Monica Mayers and Caleb Peterson. Monica put her son Caleb up for adoption when she was 16 years old, and when they met again after Caleb had become an adult, they quickly began having a sexual relationship. When they were arrested in New Mexico in 2016, they argued that their relationship was not incest, but genetic sexual attraction. Some people say that people are naturally attracted to others who share common physical traits. So it could be common to be attracted to someone who is related to you without even knowing it. Like, if you met someone at a bar and didn't know they were a sibling that was put up for adoption as a baby, you would be naturally attracted to them due to having similar physical traits. None of that is backed up by any science, though. Whatever reason you want to give for being attracted to a blood relative, though, it's still incest. Most psychologists believe genetic sexual attraction is just pseudoscience to explain away why what they're doing is not bad. No actual studies can be found that shows any validity to the theory of genetic sexual attraction. 
and seems to simply be a term made up by a lady in the 80s who couldn't handle her physical attraction to her own son. Whether real or pseudoscience, Stephen Platel believed that he was in love with his daughter, and when she finally came to her senses and left him, he believed that his world was over and he needed to take others with him. The police chief in Nightdale added an important message to his press conference. also want to remind those that may hear this message today that no matter what your circumstances are, no matter how overwhelming a particular situation may feel for you, there is help available. There are resources out there that you can take a hold of and find a way to overcome whatever trial that may be. Find help. Call somebody. Talk to someone. If you don't know who to call, call us and we'll put you in touch with someone. But there is nothing that you're going through that cannot be resolved if you have the right help and if you have the right resources. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call Mental Health America, which runs the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Be safe. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, you can help us out by leaving us a review or rating on whatever podcast app you listen through. You can also subscribe to the show to ensure you don't miss an episode. Also, remember that if you'd like to support the show, you can find information on how to do that at thisismonsters.com forward slash support. Thanks again.